Open your Bibles with me this morning to Colossians chapter 3 as we continue our study in this letter of the Apostle Paul inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to this little church in Colossae in the backside of nowhere in the middle of Asia Minor and yet the people of God, the apple of his eye for whom he had specific directions and instructions that they needed as they walked through this valley of tears, through this sin-cursed world, through this uh, generation that is perverse, that they needed to know how to live and how to walk, and so do we. Colossians chapter 3, and we'll read the four verses that, uh, or actually, yes, four verses that especially deal with family life, verses 18 through 21. Colossians 3.18, Wives, be subject to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children that they may not lose heart. Well, let's ask for God's help as we open up these words, especially this morning, to husbands. And it's a simple, very difficult command, love your wives. Let's pray for God's help to that end. Our Father in heaven, as we have read these words, your words, directions to families, to every member of a family, to wives, to husbands, to children, to fathers, and mothers by implication. We ask that you would now help us to obey your word, help us to understand it as it is fleshed out, as the rest of Scripture has to deal with these topics and sheds light upon them. Help us now to understand and obey, and where we see that we have not obeyed, grant us humble hearts that confess, that repent, that turn, that by your grace are made new. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Now, there are a lot of things in this world that are, as we say, easier said than done. I remember years ago hearing and watching the musical Camelot, where King Arthur asks the question, how to handle a woman. And Merlin, the magician, the wise old man, says, the way to handle a woman is to love her. Simply love her. Merely love her. Well, you might say to Mr. Merlin, that's easy for you to say. You don't have a wife, at least that we know of. How do you do it? Well, the scriptures give us practical wisdom from the one who created man and woman, who ordained marriage in the first place. And he tells us not just to love, but he tells us how. And so we're going to be opening up this passage we've seen already as we've considered these verses, uh, basically by way of introduction, the general pattern of familiar, familial Authority going to Ephesians chapter 5, the sister passage, where we see that the pattern is that the husband is to uh, love his wife as Christ loved the church, and that the wife is to submit to her husband as the church does to Christ. And so there's the pattern of authority in the family. Just as Christ rules the church, so the husband is the head of the home. Then we considered last Lord's Day in the second place, this verse 18, wives, the direction to wives, the simple yet difficult commandment to the wife is, wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And now we come today to the third direction, or the third message, the second direction, and that is to the husbands, husbands, love your wives. And then there's an added uh, prohibition that as husbands are to love their wives, he, the, the apostle adds, and do not be embittered against them. 
And as we look at this verse, verse 19 this morning, we want to consider it under four headings, and we'll see how far we get with our four headings, I suspect, uh, more than suspect. I believe we will not get through all of this material. And so husbands, you get a double blessing. Wives got one sermon. I think husbands are going to get two. So what are the four headings? First of all, the basic duty of the husband. Love. One word. Secondly, the pattern of that love. And again, we go back to Ephesians chapter 5, and we find that the pattern, the example set for the husband, is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. And then thirdly, there's a banned behavior, forbidden behavior, and that is bitterness. The husband is not to be embittered against her. And I think that's as far as we'll get this morning. And then, Lord willing, next Lord's Day, we'll take up some practical uh, directions. Again, flooding into this, pouring into this verse, the rest of Scripture. How do we express that love? What are some ways to cultivate, to express, uh, to show that love and to have it to grow? And so I have ten, actually ten directions there. So you can see that's quite enough for more than one sermon anyway. Well, let's start in then with the basic duty of the husband. And husbands, I know there are many husbands uh, tuned in here. What do you do with your wife? Well, Merlin, I think maybe the authors of that play or that movie script, uh, perhaps had some biblical input somewhere along the line. And Merlin says to King Arthur, the way to handle a woman is to love her. Well, husbands, you don't have to listen to a magician. You have the word of God. What do you do with your wife? Love her. Husbands, love your wives. Now, I came across this in uh, a commentary, the Geneva Commentary by Davenant, on Colossians. And here's a quote. It is not badly said by Aristotle in his book on rhetoric. Love is the wishing to anyone what it conceives to be good for the sake of that one and not for its own. And it is the endeavoring to accomplish this as far as it can. So you perceive what is good for that person you love, and you determine you're going to accomplish that good, not for yourself, but for that one that's loved, as far as it is in your power. Now, my definition, and I believe I probably heard it from this pulpit some many years ago, is this. Love is that attitude of heart that seeks the best for the one who is loved, even at personal cost. Now, in other words, when you say, I love you, when you tell your wife, I love you, you're saying to her, I want what is best for you, not what's best for me. I put your interest above my interest. I put what's best for you above what's best for me, and I'm going to do my best to accomplish what's best for for you, even if I have to sacrifice to do it. You can see this in the illustration that we have back in Ephesians chapter 5, where the Apostle Paul said in that sister letter to this one, to the Colossians, where he said, Husbands, love your wives. This is Ephesians 5.25. Love your wives just as Christ also loved the church, and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. And so, The pattern for the husband is the love of Christ for the church. What did Christ look for? What was his goal for the church? That she would be holy and blameless and presented in the last day. Christ's goal for his church, brethren, is this, that you get to glory. That you get there without spot or blemish. That you're presented blameless before him. That's his goal 
for his church. And what does he do to accomplish that goal? The best goal. Not for his own self, but for his church that he loved. What did he do? He gave himself on the cross of Calvary to save the church from their sins. So there you see the illustration of that definition. The greatest good for the one that's loved, even at personal cost, even with sacrifice. Now, therefore, husbands, what's your goal? What's your command? Love your wife. No ifs, no ands, no buts, no excuses. When the excuse comes to your mind, but, but, but you don't know my wife. Is she your wife? Love her. That's simply the command. It's not a lot of detail here. It's not a long list. Just love her. All that entails of self-denying love. Now, the implication of this, you notice that the command to the woman was to submit to the husband. You might expect then that the command to the husband is, husbands, lead your wives. Husbands, command your wives. It doesn't say that. The implication is this, that husbands, your headship over your wife is for her good with the goal of seeing the best for her that you can possibly accomplish. And so your headship is not something that ends up for you. Get my slippers. Where's my dinner? Bring me the newspaper. Well, that's back in the day. Uh, It's for her good. Your headship is in love for her. And so when you make a decision, the husband has the authority. The husband is the head of the home. But his decisions do not end in his good. His decisions are for the good of the family, especially of his wife. Now, here's the test of that love. Husband, first of all, how do you spend the family's money? Husband, generally the breadwinner. Do you spend it primarily for your hobbies? Is that your number one goal? For your interests? For your new tennis racket, basketball, TV, table saw for the shop, uh, whatever you want? Or are your purchases, the use of the family budget, guided by love? What is good for my wife and my children? How do you spend your money? Secondly, how do you spend your time? Is your time all rotating around yourself, your job, your career, your hobbies, your uh, sports? Well, honey, I've got this plan for today. I'm going to go play golf for, well, I don't know if they still have golf courses these days, if they're still open. But, you know, you're, you're pretty well social distanced on a golf course, at least from the next foursome. Uh, Is it all around you? Or do you take into account your wife? Her needs, her concerns, the children, their time will come to fathers and children subsequently. But again, the test, how do you spend your money? How do you spend your time? What is the basis of your headship decisions? Is it you or is it her? Lead in love. Husbands love your wives. Now again, I want to come, although I've mentioned this, I want to focus in the second place on the pattern of that love, because the book of Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesians, draws that out at quite some length, and that gives us also an idea of how the husband is to love his wife. So it gives us something of the the pattern or something of the manner of expression of that that we'll, we'll come to, of course, later. But I want to hammer this out here at this point, the pattern, the example that's held before you of how to love your wife. All right, again, what is his goal for her? Look back at Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify 
her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. Well, he's the Savior of the body. It's described, uh, where was that? He is the Savior of the body. Uh, This is what he does. He saves the church. Furthermore, he gave himself up for her. Yeah, he saved you the body, verse 23. He gave himself up for her, verse 25. And so again, sacrifice. But he gave himself up for her, her ultimate good, that he might sanctify her. It's not just that uh, she would give him what he wants, not that she would serve him in the way that he wants, but that she, for her good, would be made more holy. That's a good goal for your wife, by the way, as you make your decisions. Will this help my wife grow as a Christian woman? That he might present her at the end spotless, ultimate, complete sanctification, ultimate, complete salvation. That and no less is his goal for the church. Now, husbands, again, do you have as you lead your family, not just material goals, not that we'll have a bigger house, not that that's necessarily wrong, but is that the number one end goal? Or is your goal, I want to see my wife safe in glory. I want to see my kids saved. I want this family to have the circle unbroken and together cast our crowns at the foot of the throne of the Lamb. Is that your goal? Not your earthly pleasure, but the salvation of your family. That will affect how you lead. The cost... At what cost again? Christ loved the church, verse 25, and gave himself up for her. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends, for his loved ones. And that's what the Lord Jesus did, brother and sister, for you. He lay down his life. He gave his life. He shed his blood. He suffered under the wrath of his father, the wrath that we deserve. Would you defend your wife with your life? Would you protect her, her honor, her well-being? Do you love her? At what cost? But then notice his interest in the church. Verse 30, compared with verse 28. Verse 30 says, We are members of his body. Therefore, verse 28, So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. Well, Christ loved the church as his own body. Why? Because we're members of his body. Verse 30. And so, again, the parallel, if Christ loved the church as his own body and cared for it as his own body, love your wife as your own body. Well, what do you do for your own body? Well, what does Christ do for the church? Look again at the text. He says, verse 29, No one ever hated his own flesh. These are members of your own body. Love your wife as your own body. You've never hated your own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church. Again, this pattern. We are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. What does he presently do for the church? And these are present verbs. He nourishes and cherishes the church. Well, to nourish, this verb is only used here and in chapter 6, verse 4, that fathers are to bring up, that's the word, bring up their children. The 
word as it's translated from the Hebrew into Greek in the Septuagint version of the Old Testament. Uh, it generally speaks of raising children, uh, raising up children, nourishing children, caring for children. But as an interesting picture of the meaning of the word, we find it used in the parable of Nathan the prophet to King David in 2 Samuel chapter 12. That parable that Nathan told to bring David to conviction of his sin with Bathsheba. He told the parable of this man who had one ewe lamb that he raised up. And there's the Greek translation. It uses this word. This one ewe lamb that he raised up, that ate of his bread and drank from his cup and lay in his bosom. Oh, there's a picture of what this means to nourish, to raise up. Well, you, you take care of your own flesh. Well, he says, as you care for your wife, in a sense, here's the picture of it. You raise her up, you nourish her, you let her eat your bread, and you let her drink from your cup, and she lays in your bosom. It's a tender, loving care. That's what this word pictures, that tender relationship. And then the next word that he uses here, all right, so nourishes and cherishes. And the word here uh, means to keep warm or to comfort, to cherish, to comfort, to keep warm. Uh, again, to embrace in such a way that's protective, that's comforting, that's warming. And so a wife sometimes doesn't need lectures. She just needs your arms around her, soothing TLC. Sometimes husbands might be prone to give a lecture. Well, why did you buy that? And don't you know? And oh, just a minute. Nourishing and cherishing. That's what you do. In a sense, you take care of your own body. Think of the man with his ewe lamb. Well, this is what we're to do for our wives. What does Christ do for the church? He nourishes, raises us up, cares for us, ministers to our needs, cherishes, tender loving care, soothing, comforting, the comfort of the Holy Ghost. All this he gives. And so too husbands. You have this pattern. And these two words I think are very helpful. How do you love your wife? How? Don't you say, love her? Here the, the scriptures give these descriptions on purpose. Nourish her, raise her up, tenderly care for her, cherish her, keep her warm and comforted. This is what you do as Christ cares for the church. Now, we come in the third place to the band behavior. All right, so love your wife as Christ loved the church. Now, what is banned? When we come to Colossians, this is something not found explicitly in Ephesians. So the Apostle Paul adds something here with this negative note, and do not be embittered against them, against her. Now, uh, Davenant, that uh, commentator I mentioned earlier, mentions that uh, first the sacrifices at a wedding, of a heathen wedding, uh, they would offer a sacrifice to their gods, but they would take out the gall, organ, out of the sacrifice before they offered it. And uh, the implication that he draws out of that was that they didn't want anything bitter to enter into a wedding ceremony, into a marriage. Well, we, again, we're not dependent on uh, magicians or philosophers or pagan ceremonies, but this reflects a truth that we don't want bitterness in our marriages. What's bitterness? Well, I think we all know when it comes to food what bitterness is. It's, uh, as one uh, dictionary describes it, it's, it's an unpleasant and disagreeable taste like lemon peels. Well, everybody in the Philippines knows what bitter gourd is. It's a vegetable uh, called ampalaya. The English version of that is bitter gourd. And that's what it is. It's bitter. 
And so you don't blame kids if they turn up their noses at Ampalaya. Uh, and most American kids, just consider yourself blessed to have grown up in this country because you've probably never tasted Ampalaya. And parents have never tried to force it upon you. Well, uh, bitter. It, it, it's, it's this disagreeable, unpleasant taste. And one uh, website I, I looked at said, suggested that uh, things taste bitter as a warning because many toxic things have a bitter taste. It's toxic. It's poisonous. And so it turns you off, and so you don't want to eat it. Well, umpalea, by the way, is not toxic, and kids, you won't die if you eat it. If we have Filipino families uh, tuned in here, you, you will not die, and it's high in iron, so... Listen to your mom and dad eat your ampalaya. But coming back to our topic, it is toxic to be bitter towards your wife. To have a bitter attitude, unpleasant, disagreeable attitude to your wife, that's toxic in a marriage. Now, All right, husbands, you say, okay, it's easy for you to say don't be bitter, but you don't know my wife. Maybe I do. But you say, and and I tried to think to myself, why did the Apostle Paul, why did the Holy Spirit inspire this? What are the occasions, what are the reasons why a husband might become bitter, have this unpleasant taste in his thoughts, in his heart, when he thinks of his wife? And when I mentioned this to my wife, she reminded me that this is a sermon for husbands and not for wives. So I'm trying to be careful and and not uh, use this as a backhanded way to say wives don't make your husbands bitter. I mean, yes, that's there too. But this is for husbands. So husbands, don't use this as a weapon against your wife. Don't be bitter. Well, what makes husbands bitter? Well, first excuse is, well, you don't know my wife. She's such a nag. She rags on me. She says, when are you going to take out the garbage? Well, then you threw your socks on the floor again. There you go again. Well, just take out the garbage. Don't throw your socks on the floor. You know, maybe she, you, you blame her for nagging because of what you do. If you took out the garbage when you were supposed to, uh, maybe she wouldn't have to nag you. You know, uh, it's interesting, because I I thought of doing this. You can take out your cell phone, and you can set yourself a reminder. It's Tuesday night, I need to take out the garbage. If you don't know how to do it, ask Pastor Carlson. He'll tell you how to set up your cell phone. So your cell phone will nag you, and your wife doesn't have to do it. So don't blame your wife for being a nag if she's just reminding you of the things you should have done in the first place. But by the way, wives, uh, to say the same things over and over again, you may be setting yourself up for being accused of being a nag. But again, this is not a sermon for wives. It's a sermon for husbands. Another excuse. Why does the husband say, but you don't know my wife. she's, She's a hag. She doesn't submit. She's so stubborn. She's a hag. I ask her to do something and she laughs at me. He's bitter. Well, again, this is a sermon for husbands. Lovingly lead her, teach her, lead her, nourish her, cherish her in such a way that a loving, self-denying way that when you say, honey, would you? Yes, dear will be a much easier response that she will delight to obey and follow. But again, by the way, wives, don't be a stubborn hag. Third excuse that men sometimes might use, well, you know, she she doesn't care for her appearance like she used to. She's such a bag. Well, 
when you married her? How many years ago? She was 110 pounds, very attractive, appealing. But now you say she's, she just doesn't care for her appearance anymore. And, and you can even think of the, I, I can think of situation comedies I saw on TV years and years ago uh, when TV was funny. And, uh, you know, the wife comes out in curlers in her, this robe and she looks so awful. And the, the, the husband, Ugh. Um, well, husbands, husbands, I'm talking to husbands, the scriptures say, they don't say rejoice in the youth of your wife, they say rejoice in the wife of your youth. And it's inescapable that as we all age, we don't look like we used to. Note the white beard. It used to be quite red. But still, we seek to care for the temple of the Holy Spirit that God has given us. We seek to maintain our attractiveness. But husbands, you know, maybe you need to spring some money for her when the virus thing is all over to go to the gym. Uh, but remember... You're not what you used to be either. Help her, lead her, encourage her with kind words instead of always harping and criticizing. But again, just a little reminder to the wives, don't let yourself go, don't be a bag. And again, it's not a sermon for women, it's a sermon for husbands because the command is forget your excuses. Do not be embittered against them. Don't let it happen. How does bitterness come out? Well, the affections grow cold, sometimes even antagonistic. This attitude develops. There she goes again. Oh. So there's this internal growling. And then the words become bitter, like thrusts of a sword, wounding. Is that all you have to wear? There you go again. Ah, this nagging, nagging. The words are offensive. Thrusts of a sword. Deeds, treating her like a ser servant or even like an enemy. Treating her no more with love, but with animosity. And brethren, why did the Holy Spirit inspire the Apostle to write these words? Do not be embittered against her. Because it happens. Don't let it happen. If it has happened, repent. Confess. Go to your wife. Ask her forgiveness. Go to Christ and wash your conscience in the blood of the Lamb. And change by grace. Do not be embittered against them. And one more thing before we perhaps begin those, those general directions. Let me put it here. What is the opposite of bitterness? So if you're not to be bitter, replace it with the opposite. We have earlier in this chapter, in chapter 3 in Colossians, and it's also in Ephesians 4 and 5, put off and put on. So if you put off bitterness, what do you put on? Well, back earlier it says, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unities, as in the church, so also in marriage. What's the opposite of bitterness? Well... Think the opposite of a lemon peel or ampalaya, bitter gourd. The opposite would be something sweet, ice cream. And so, not that super, you know, inch thick icing that you sometimes get on a bakery cake that you just have to not cut off because it's too sweet, but just the right sweetness. Let your words, let your attitude, let your behavior to your wife be sweet. Sweet. Don't play the tape over and over again. Oh, she's a nag. Oh, she's a hag. She's a bag. Don't play the tape. Think of things that you can commend. Think of things you can appreciate. 
Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. I want to at least start in here because I still have some time left on what I said were 10 general directions on how to express your love for your wife. And we'll, we'll, I'm going to watch the clock and uh, see how we go. And I want to leave off this with some time for some uh, wrapping up comments at the end. All right, how do you, lo- how do you love your wife? I said we're not just going to uh, say this because the Bible, or here it does say, husbands love your wives, but we have the rest of the Bible to pour into this. Well, the first thing is this. How do you love your wife? First of all, live with your wife. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. Husbands, likewise, live with your wives in an understanding way, or literally according to knowledge, as with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman, and grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now that verse has a lot of practical wisdom, practical direction, how to love your wife. Let's take the first thing it says. Husbands, likewise, live with your wives. Now, that means you want to be with her. Davanon again says, that commentator, he lives freely and cheerfully with his wife in his own home. He is delighted with her presence and company. He suffers himself to be torn from her for any long time, only by necessary causes, and then thinks himself to be cast elsewhere, to be thrown hither and thither. And to be at home with his wife to rest is the wished-for haven. Do you like to be with her? Do you like to spend time together? Is this something that is an expression of your love for her? That it's not that, oh, just go away, leave me alone. But rather, let's be together. I'm glad you're, you're home. As you come back together again as you greet each other again. Is there that warmth of love? Live with your wife. Dwell with her. Her company should be your delight. Is it? Apply the test. Can you not stand to be with her? You can't wait for her to leave? Or is it you're glad when she's there? You love her. Live with her. But then, departing from 1 Peter 3, second directive, how to love your wife. Secondly, listen to her. Now, this requires, perhaps, patience. It requires attention. Deny yourself. She may come to you with a story and you're in the middle of something. You're reading the comics in the newspaper. Something very important. Well, maybe you're now presently working from home, uh, not reading the comics. But deny yourself. Take a moment. Unless, of course, it's something that, you know, you're in the middle of a meeting or an online meeting. Okay, say, just a minute, honey. But stop and listen. Don't just pretend to listen. Yes, dear. Yes, dear. Whatever you say, dear. But listen. Listen patiently. I believe this is a, a valid description of one of the differences between men and women. General, of course, is a generalization. Men usually tell a story and they get to the bottom line, generally, not always, and and they just tell, this is what it was. Boom. Women have to go through all of the various steps and what happened here, and then this person said that, and oh, and by the way, she was wearing this, and uh, there's a lot of detail thrown in, which the husband maybe wants to say, just so, so what happened? What's the bottom line? That takes patience. Listen to her as though, and may it be real, what she has to say to you, because you love her, is the most important thing for you to hear. 
Now, just as an illustration of this, in 1 Kings chapter 10, we have King Solomon, and it wasn't his wife, but listening to and answering the questions of the Queen of Sheba. 1 Kings chapter 10 puts it this way. Now, when the Queen of Sheba, verse 1, heard about the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with difficult questions. So it wasn't just things she told him, but things she asked him. So she came to Jerusalem with a very large retinue, with camels carrying spices and very much gold and precious stones. When she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. Amen. Just use your imagination here for a moment. She spoke to him about all that was in her heart. How long did that take? And just imagine your wife telling you all that's in her heart. Verse 3, And Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was hidden from the king which he did not explain to her. When the queen of Sheba perceived all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his servants, the attendance of his waiters and their attire, his cupbearers and the stairway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. Then she said to the king, It was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. Nevertheless, I did not believe the reports until I came. And my eyes had seen it, and behold, the half was not told me. You exceed in wisdom and prosperity the report which I heard. There was no more spirit in her. In other words, Solomon was given such wisdom and patience to listen and to answer until she was exhausted. That took some doing. But he listened And so, how do you show your wife you love her? Well, if she comes to you with a story and you say, oh, there there you go, cut it short. Can't you see I'm busy? What's the message you're giving? What I'm doing is more important to me than you are. And so, husbands, love your wives. I think I'm going to get one more before we wrap things up. The third thing I would say, husbands, how do you love your wives? The third thing is, talk to her. I put listen first, because you need to listen to what she has to say, but she wants you to talk as well. She wants to know what's going on with you. She wants to know what's inside you. She didn't marry a stone statue that she could talk to, and all he he just grunts in response, yes, dear, yes, dear. She wants to know what is in your heart as well. And so Solomon, going back to our illustration, he answered her. He explained to her. That means he talked as well. So be open. Share yourself with her. Now, when you talk again, you don't use bitter words. You don't use harsh words. You speak sweetly, gently. My grandson, I haven't mentioned Sammy for some weeks now, so give me a little dispensation here. But, uh, you know, he, he would pet the dog, and he pets the dog. And uh, Becky will say to him, my, our daughter Becky will say, gentle touch. So then Sammy, you know, more gentle patting of the dog will pet the dog and the dog obviously appreciates the warning and the uh, more gentle approach well let's apply that (laughs) to your words to your wife speak to her but gentle touch gentle touch speak to her in such a way that she's happy to listen again sweet words. Uh, Just as an illustration of the necessity of this, I don't know how many times this has happened in in our marriage, that uh, we'll be 
visiting someone and uh, I'll, I'll be talking to the husband and uh, maybe say, well, you know, by the way, this is going to be happening next week. And after, afterwards on our way home, my wife will say to me, you never told me about that. And oh, I didn't, you know, it just never struck me. Uh, why didn't you tell me? Well, sorry. So the point is, and, and mea culpa, uh, I'm guilty of uh, not obeying fully or perfectly everything I say, but I'm working on it. Communicate openly with your wife. She doesn't want just your paycheck or just the house that you bought. She wants you because she married you. She said, I do. She said, I will. She said yes to a person. And so communicate who you are to her. Well then, Lord willing, next Lord's Day, when we come back, I will take up some more of these directions on how to love your wife. And so husbands, uh, you're not off the hook yet. But let me just wrap this up with some words. First of all, to the husbands. Husbands, here is your one command. Love your wife. Don't be bitter. Love her. Love her sweetly. Love her gently. Love her. Now, what do you do if, as we've gone through thus far, you have to say in the presence of God, I failed. I've not loved my... I have at times been bitter, and I've let bitterness come into my words, into my behavior, into my attitude. Well, what do you do? Repent. Repent before God. Ask His forgiveness. Bring it to the blood of Christ, the blood of Jesus, His Son. 1 John 1, 7 cleanses us from all sin. Husbands, come believingly. Come repentantly to the Savior. But go to your wife. It might be good, husbands and wives, to sit down together. Talk over this sermon, the last sermon, the next sermon, and ask each other and ask God to help you that your marriage will more reflect the relationship of Christ and His church, Christ's love for His church, the wife's submission to the head, as the church does to Christ in everything. Talk about it. Settle your differences. Repent of your sins. And move on. Go forward, forgetting what lies behind. That's the blessing of the gospel. That God can make up for the years. It may have been years that your marriage has slowly deteriorated to the train wreck it is. God's able to make up for the years that the locusts have eaten. And those bells of joy can ring again in your home if you do what God says. So husbands and wives, apply God's word repentantly, believingly, humbly, trustingly to your marriage situation. But as I close then, I have one last word. Friends, consider the example. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. One of our hymns puts it this way, Love divine, all loves excelling. There's no love like his. And the best husband on the face of this globe doesn't come close. Love divine. How did Christ love the church? He had his eyes set on the greatest good for his church. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What was the joy? of seeing every single one of his elect people, the people that God the Father had chosen and promised to him, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and I will raise them up on the last day. The joy set before him, he endured the cross. He had the greatest goal, his people's salvation. 
even though that gold drove him through the darkest valley of the shadow of death. The valley of the cross. The valley of the Father's anger and wrath against sin. If possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knew the answer. God the Son, forsaken by God the Father. Because in his love, God gave his only begotten Son to bear the penalty of his holy wrath against all their sin poured out on the Savior so that there would be none left for anyone who believes in him. Maybe you've made a wreck of your marriage. And you have to confess, it's a train wreck. It's not just dysfunctional, it's malfunctioning, it's, it's wickedly functioning. But God can take your sin, though it's scarlet, He can make it as white as snow. That's the gospel, that's the good news. And not only is there pardon and forgiveness, as if, well, it's all done, it's all forgiven, now just go on the same way? No, there's grace and power to change, to make new, to bring new life, hope, into what seems like a hopeless situation. So bring your marriage, bring your sin, whatever it may be, bring it to the foot of the cross, Will he receive you? God so loved that he gave. The Lord Jesus said, greater love has none than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. What does he command? Turn from your sin. Put your faith entirely in him. There's no love like it on earth. You may have the best marriage, but it's not perfect. But here is perfect love. Sinless, perfect, complete, in spite of love divine. All loves excelling. And that love is yours if you come repenting, confessing, trusting in Jesus alone. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come before you bowing because we do not deserve such love. We bow in humility. We bow in confession. We bow repentantly. For those hearing the sound of my voice who are husbands, we can say before you, we have not loved our wives as we ought. We can say we have not loved you as we ought. We have not repented as we ought. We have not believed as we ought. Our, our hearts are guilty. Our hands are dirty. But we thank you that there is such a Savior who comes to lift up guilty, wretched, miserable sinners such as we are. Failures to take us, to wash us, to cleanse us, and by your Spirit to make us new. Not yet perfect in this life, and yet we've read that the ultimate goal is that we would be spotless, without blemish or any wrinkle or any such thing, and be presented before you. And we would only cry as we end this service this morning, hasten that day. Lord Jesus, come quickly. Help the husbands, members of this church. Help the wives and those who are not yet in the Savior. May they see how blessed it is to be a Christian and turn from the world and seek Jesus and find him today. We pray in his blessed name. Amen.